I'm David Latimer, and this is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. Today's show is all about the first 2020 Democratic debates, which took place this week. What are the highlights? Who were the winners and losers? And what can we take away from the debate as a sign of what's to come in this election season? But first, I'd like to start out with some of the most noteworthy things that I noticed from the debate. The The first debate, as sort of was predicted, was going to be the quote-unquote lesser debate, and that's not fair necessarily because I think the Democrats did a lot better this time around than the Republicans did in 2016 in that they made the such a large number of candidates, they were able to do two debates randomly selected with the number of candidates in it in a way that there wasn't a essentially a kiddie table you know so you had last night you had elizabeth warren was really the main front runner but then you had others that were there like tulsi gabbard and julian castro and beto o'rourke who are sort of in a mid-tier position where they're maybe in the five to seven percent range that or um cory booker's another one that are sort of in this in this mid-range where Sometimes they, when they first entered, they maybe caught interest and they sort of sparked something, but have since sort of leveled out into this weird place sort of in the middle. And then they also had several kind of unknowns and and wild cards like uh, Jay Inslee and uh, Delaney and Bill de Blasio and just a a really, I think, an interesting mix. I think night two is going to be a better mix, but... Anyway, I wanted to take a look at some of the most notable things from last night. What I would say is, right off the bat, Beto O'Rourke speaking Spanish was quintessential Beto O'Rourke. I just feel like his use of Spanish was trying to reach out to the Latino population and Latino voters. It comes across, to me at least, as totally pandering and... Uh, disingenuous and very just just straight up pandering it doesn't seem like it's a good strategy then we also had some some other interesting things take place we had uh, obviously the the biggest or one of the biggest policy things that came up was regarding medicare for all and actually one of the moderators lester holt even asked all 10 candidates standing there just by a show of hands who would actually eliminate private insurance and only two up there elizabeth warren who we already knew who was behind sort of the bernie sanders medicare for all plan and bill de blasio mayor of new york city i don't think we really know what his philosophy is in terms of what he would do as president he is only in sort of the one percent range and he is new to the race or relatively new to the race i think he joined maybe only in the past month and a half or so. And I haven't really seen much of him covered at all because of that. So I think it's interesting. He actually got into a little bit of a fight with Beto O'Rourke regarding the Medicare for all policy. And one of, one of Beto's things is that he decided, or his platform would say, we're going to institute Medicare for all, but then also allow people to have the choice of say your employer has negotiated better terms that you like you're able to stick with that plan. Well, de Blasio, he got into a really heated argument with O'Rourke about this, basically just saying that, you know, you can't deny that there are 
flaws in the system and there's problems with the system and you have to acknowledge that problem. And, and I get where he's coming from. I think Medicare for all is definitely a huge, huge undertaking and a huge step that would need to be taken if you were to implement a plan like that. And that's a, that's a huge monumental shift. I can't, it's kind of hard to even imagine such a consequential presidency that could affect literally every single person living in America. I mean, you've got things like tax cuts and you have things like the immigration that people can sort of see and, and potentially affect them. But having health care, literally every single person in this country having health care provided by the government would be a, a huge change. And I just think it was it was interesting to see de Blasio sort of actually get involved in the conversation a little bit because we haven't really heard from him. There was another really interesting thing that happened. Really, I think Beto O'Rourke really got, really, really was attacked last night. He was he was definitely on the receiving end of a lot of criticism from some fellow Democrats. He was, they were discussing immigration, and Julian Castro had a really interesting debate with him over what is called Section 1325, which the, he, he wants to end that provision that would decriminalize border crossing. But they were fighting over that because Castro explicitly wants to repeal that Section 1325, and Beto was sort of equivocating and saying that he wanted to do something similar to that, but not repeal the thing. And Castro went off on him, and it was actually pretty incredible what happened there. But, and I, and I, again, I found that interesting because I haven't really heard much from Castro uh, since he got in. Another excellent, excellent moment was Tulsi Gabbard and Tim Ryan got into a heated argument. A question was being asked of Tim Ryan, and it was regarding the Afghanistan war. Now, uh, for those who don't know, Tulsi Gabbard is a military veteran and she served in Iraq. And she obviously is very passionate about this topic. She has a lot of very, it's very close to home to her. And Tim Ryan was sort of taking a much more centrist approach and a much more even right-leaning stance when it came to the Iraq war and, and talking about, well, the reason we went in there, obviously evoking 9-11 and, and things like that. And, um, having to deal with the Taliban and the reason, the, the whole reason that we went into the Middle East to sort of fight back against that. And Tulsi Gabbard shot back immediately um, saying that it wasn't the Taliban that attacked us, it was Al-Qaeda and you're making an inaccurate argument. And Tim Ryan, I think, very much so is not ready to run for president, and I can't wait. I'll, I'll know because in the second half of this podcast, you'll hear my reactions about night two and specifically Eric Swalwell. I feel like Tim Ryan and Eric Swalwell are very similar in that they're not very good public speakers. And I'm not really sure why they're running for president, but we'll see what happens, and I'll be able to prove myself right or wrong based on that. Uh, another interesting thing that was asked by the moderators is regarding Iran. He asked who would sign on to the the deal that was that, that Trump pulled out of the 2015 deal. Who would sign on to that today? And everybody raised their hand except for Cory Booker. Cory Booker is the only one that did not raise his hand. And I thought that was a little interesting. I don't know whether that was a 
something he had thought about previously or whether that was a strategic in the moment kind of debate move, but he didn't. He apparently doesn't support that. And I thought that that was uh, an interesting take from him. I haven't really talked about Amy Klobuchar, but I think Amy Klobuchar also had a couple of good zingers. And her one that I think a lot of people are going to remember and it's going to stand out specifically specifically because this is such a historic election or, or a historic campaign. Um, she pointed out that they're, they're, they were discussing women's right to choose and in healthcare and things like that. And she pointed out how there are three women on stage who have all fought hard for women's choice. And that of course the, the room erupted in applause and, and that sort of just points out to the fact that this is a historic election where we have, uh, I believe six women at this point running in, um, you know, major party candidates and there were three that were on last night, and there are going to be three on tonight. And I just think that that was a definitely one of those standout moments, and and probably the most standout quote of the night, um, along with a couple of others that I thought were were pretty interesting. I know uh, when Julian Castro was talking about reproductive rights, he wasn't talking about just reproductive rights, but he was calling it reproductive justice, and I think that was. That stood out to people, and he also pointed out to uh, taking care of trans women, which is something that hardly ever gets talked about. Uh, at the same time, Cory Booker also mentioned that when it comes to taking care of people and, and violence, he wanted to point out that many trans women of color have been killed recently, and really no one's talking about that either. Uh, Julian Castro also talking about immigration. He said immigration issues, one of the, he was talking about the, the images that we had seen just this week of the children in the facilities sleeping on the, con the concrete floors with the aluminum blankets. He said it, it was heartbreaking, but it, that it should also quote, piss us off, piss us all off. Again, that's another really big moment that I think a lot of people will remember. And for someone like Castro to have really two big moments, I think, or, or those two big quotes with the that sort of thunderous applause, he really, really needed. With that, on to our night one winners and losers. So I would definitely say, obviously, the main winner of the night would be Elizabeth Warren, because she came into this having a pretty sizable lead over pretty much everybody else on the stage. And she definitely showed she didn't really get attacked too much really at all. No one really looking at her policies that much. And it definitely highlights how the Democrats have moved much more to the left because someone like Elizabeth Warren in the past absolutely would have had her policies picked out a lot more. And especially because she's has so many detailed policies and some more surprising winners, I would say. Julian Castro had an excellent night, and it was something he desperately needed to stand out. He had great responses when it came to immigration. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I think, was also a winner last night because she had several moments that I think she really hasn't had the opportunity to have. So definitely that fight with Tim Ryan showed her passion and and how she really is a non-conflict person. She really doesn't want to get into more wars. Specifically, Iran is one thing that we're, we're looking at right now. 
Bill de Blasio even, I think, was surprising. And and maybe that's just because we haven't heard anything from him. So to hear any kind of policy or any kind of ideas from him is different because we just haven't heard anything from him. But I found it specifically the Medicare for All policy and, and eliminating private insurance. I found that extremely interesting. And I don't think anybody really knew that that was a policy position of de Blasio. Now, as for the losers... Very obviously, Beto O'Rourke, big, big loser last night. He was attacked mercilessly by his opponents. He he was taking criticism from Bill de Blasio regarding the uh, Medicare for All situation and, and was sort of nodding along in agreeance, which is kind of weird, don't you think, that... If you're being criticized by your opponent, why it's it's like he's just kind of taking it. And then the other two losers would be, I'd say, Tim Ryan, obviously because of his interaction with Tulsi Gabbard, but also just the fact that I think he doesn't really have a lot of policy. And one of the things that Savannah Guthrie pointed out, one of the moderators, was that many people weren't really answering the questions when they were posed to them. And one specifically that I noticed was he was directly asked about how to pay for climate change things, like how to fix climate change and how to uh, fix the climate crisis. And he just completely ignored the question and just skirted around it and made some kind of a weird remark about how it's so important and we need to, to take care of our planet for future generations and whatnot. I mean, it was super politician-y, but because he's not a very charismatic person, and I don't think he really has that great of a personality, it was pretty obvious, and I think nobody really fell for it. And then lastly, poor, poor Delaney. I I, I just don't... He, to me, evokes uh, Rand Paul from 2016 in that he was pushed to the very edge of the stage. He got to talk a little bit, but he got cut off several times, and when he talked, it was kind of like we were just waiting for him to be done so we could just move on to the next person, and that was kind of sad. And and he didn't really have many standout moments, and he also, in his closing statement, he almost went with the sort of the, the Trump kind of statement. He said we need to get America working again in almost evoking a Make America Great Again thing, uh, which I thought was also kind of odd. But yeah, uh, John Delaney just really did not have a good night, and he I think he desperately needed it, and it just wasn't his night at all. So night two. Night two of the debates were fantastic. It was much better than night one, as predicted, because you had much more back and forth. You had some more top-tier candidates that felt like they could have some more dialogue, but also were given more opportunity to speak because the moderators are aware of what the polling data is. So taking a look at some of the highlights from night two of the debates, the very first question, I think, says a lot about what the moderators and and sort of the narrative about this particular election is. So the first question was directed at Bernie Sanders, and it was regarding his 
Medicare for all plan specifically. Uh, but they asked, will your plan raise taxes on the middle class? And he sort of answered in a little bit of a, in a, in a direct way, more than I would have guessed of some politicians. But he said, you know, with his particular Medicare for all plan, it would eliminate your co-pays and it would eliminate all of your deductibles and it would eliminate all of those sort of uh, costs at the time that you use your health care. But yes, you would end up paying more in taxes. He he was given a second opportunity to answer that specific question, and he says, yes, because of all of those things, your taxes will go up, but your other expenses will disappear. And that's going to be a hard pill to swallow, I think, for, for the middle class, because taxes are toxic. It doesn't matter who they're coming from or what it's about, and it doesn't matter what the other expenses that are going away are. Raising taxes on anyone is a tough sell, so... He's got a long road ahead of him, even with this particular uh, set of policies that sound good on paper, but when you say you're raising taxes, a lot of people sort of get scared. One of the other big themes that kept coming up, last night was a lot more focused on Trump, and on night one they only mentioned him about ten times, I believe, something, it, it was very low, the number of times that they mentioned him, but last night they came right out of the gate talking about him, and a lot of them mentioned him. Um, some of them on the first night didn't even say his name at all or really talk about his policies or anything like that. Uh, but the one thing, the the one theme that kept coming up was talking about how most of Trump's tax cuts benefit the top 1%. That was like a, it was almost like a, a talking point recurring line that kept coming up was about the tax cuts helping the 1% and that the, the economy shouldn't be designed to benefit the 1%. Uh, some, of the, some of the other unknowns from the night had sort of hit or miss kind of uh, kind of a night. I think the worst was probably Andrew Yang, and I think that was pretty evident based on his policies entering into the debate. So one of his big things is that, or, or really his main selling thing for his campaign, is that he wants to give every uh, adult in America $1,000 a month and would pay for that via a value-added tax. And he was really getting hit pretty hard on that because it's a totally radical new idea to do that. And it doesn't seem at all feasible based on, again, you're, you're raising taxes and then you're also giving away free money. It doesn't seem like... His goal is to alleviate the struggles for people... To, to be able to afford just the cost of living. And then when you do that, you can then focus on other things. And that was his, when they asked about, you know, what, what's the one thing that you'd want to deal with when you first uh, get into office? And he says, I want to deal with that particular issue first, sort of the, the not having the proper income that you need. And then once you get that, I think he used the metaphor of when you get the someone's foot off your neck or, or when you're, Basically, when you're, you're lifted of that burden, that particular burden, everything else just sort of falls into line, which it, it to me seems very pie in the sky. But uh, another thing for Buttigieg that was interesting was they had discussed college debt and, and several people have talked about canceling debt. But he talked about how he wants to make community college free for low and middle income people. But also, interestingly enough, and something that I really praise him for was suggesting 
not going to college for some and making it possible to for, for someone who wants to not go to college, they should also be able to make a living. So he he sort of tied that to a minimum wage increase at the federal level, which whether you agree with that policy or not, I very much admire the idea of not everyone has to go to college and sometimes really really you shouldn't have to go to college to survive in this country. I think one of the funny moments from the beginning was when Michael Bennett was first asked a question. I don't know if he was having trouble hearing, uh, but he was. his name was brought up and he actually got a little surprised when he was asked the question. He said, was that directed towards me? I thought that was really funny. And then also Marianne Williamson. I feel so bad for her. She did not get a chance to actually speak or be asked a question until 927, 27 minutes into this debate. And she finally got to answer a question. And to be honest, she spoke very well. You know, she she wasn't a a bad speaker or zero substance. I think if I had heard more from her, I would have felt a little better. But what she was able to discuss and what she was able to talk about was actually pretty substantive and actually really good. And one of the things she even said was she she was talking about no one on stage was really talking that much about Trump and how, how you need to defeat Trump. And that everyone up on stage kept talking about their plans and the the policy, but she pointed out how when Trump ran, he didn't need to run on too many specifics in policy, and that that's not how he got elected, that those plans do not equate to his strategy of Make America Great Again. So I thought that was also pretty interesting, and, and really the main reason why having so many candidates can be a good thing, because it gets more ideas, more conversation started that even if someone like Marianne Williamson doesn't go on to be anything substantial in this race, her ideas and opinions are now out there and we all benefit from more ideas. Another moment that was interesting that came up was, if you haven't heard Pete Buttigieg, he's the mayor of South Bend. He's currently dealing with a situation in his town where it is a police-involved shooting. A white officer shot a, a black man and he he's having to deal with that and the the investigation is still ongoing so that's it's hard to really know the full extent of what went on but he was actually asked a very tough question about that and and one specific thing that he was asked was the his police force is only about i think they said 6% african american where his town is somewhere in the 20% range and why is that disparate like that number does not sort of match up and why and, and you know, why is that not happened? And he said, cause he just couldn't get it done. And, and I think that was interesting that someone wanted to, to bring that up. And I think he's really going to have a tough time with, with black voters and with African-American voters. And it's, it's a coalition that you really do need if you want to secure the democratic nomination in 2019. Absolutely. And he really needs to make, I think bigger strides and and much more outreach to that community. And I think he's trying, but I think his answer regarding that particular incident that's still ongoing leaves a lot to be desired. Eric Swalwell, the Ken doll, Eric Swalwell, he was really trying to, to get involved in this debate. And I admire that. 
but he seems totally ill-prepared and not ready to even be on that stage, let alone be the president. He kept trying to make this pass-the-torch thing happen, this pass-the-torch line, which it actually did make a an interesting moment. It was sort of the first real um, gasp kind of a line during the debate where he was attacking Biden on his generation needing to pass the torch to a younger generation to fix things. Uh, one of the questions that was asked that also was asked the previous night was regarding somebody would want to abolish private insurance who would want to abolish private insurance for their health care plan and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders were the only ones that raised their hand except we come to find out later uh, today on Friday that she sort of walked that back because she says she didn't quite understand the the question or what was being asked of her and she's now taking the sort of moderate approach of a public option with the help of private insurance. So she's basically taking the approach of almost everyone else. And that she had the opportunity to stand out there. And I think she walked it back. And I, I'm not really sure why. Another interesting moment of the night was that everyone on stage, when they were asked, would undocumented immigrants be provided health care? Everyone raised their hand. Now, something that I want to note is the way that the question was worded is that it's they said who would provide health care to an undocumented immigrant. Anyone in this country that needs care, if they go into a hospital, they are provided care regardless of their ability to pay. It is the afterword who pays for it that is still a question. Would they give them free universal care? and be covered under the Medicare for All plan? Or are they just doing what we currently do, which is provide care for undocumented immigrants? I think, again, that was another poorly worded question, very similar to night one when they asked about gun confiscation. And I think that that was sort of a loaded question that, of course, I would provide care to somebody that needed care. It's whether they're here legally or not, they deserve to be taken care of. It's just who then pays. Another great moment from Marianne Williamson, believe it or not, was that she actually, when they were discussing immigration, when she finally got to speak, she actually called everybody out on stage. You know, it's it's a stage full of uh, Congress people and former governors and senators. And, and she actually said she, she was calling everybody out for the lack of a foreign policy plan for Central America and these places where these migrants are coming from, the, the asylum seekers or just the, the caravans and where these people are coming from, Guatemala and El Salvador and, and things like that, why there isn't a comprehensive plan on the table, because it's, it's a, a problem that's been happening for several years now, but no one has really come up with any kind of solution. And a lot of what's being discussed now is not just border security and trying to fix the crisis here, but trying to fix the problem abroad to prevent more people from coming here anyway. And I think that was really a good standout moment from her as well. But of course, the biggest moment of the night was between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And this all, clearly this was a calculated moment, but sort of the way it came up was very surprising. So Kamala Harris went into Joe Biden. She really dug into him regarding his 
comments this past week about working together with people that were known as segregationists. And she took offense to that and she really took that on. And then not only that, but his previous busing policies. One of the the big moments there was how really she she wasn't going to let him escape that answer and and ignore her point there. And and one of the big lines was saying that she was that girl that the example of a, a young girl being bussed around to the schools and how he opposed that. And he sort of pushed back on the point that she was trying to make that, you know, he he opposed busing and he, he opposed the allowing that to happen. But she really had an excellent moment there and and one that she at the time she was told by moderator Rachel Maddow that she would only get 30 seconds to respond. But when she started going into this particular anecdote, she went on for quite a long time and no one stopped her. They just sort of let her talk and understandably that's not really a that's not a moment that if you were to stop you would be very proud of that wouldn't be a good thing and it would not have good optics and he really avoided answering a lot of questions last night and one of the the main things that i noticed that a lot of people were bringing up after the debate was there they had a couple of moments when they asked um sort of raise your hand questions where they would just sort of whether yes or no and raise your hand show of hands and biden did this sort of like half up half down kind of thing where you could sort of plausible deniability where he would sort of half stick his hand up so that way the camera could see that maybe i support it but not so high that the moderators would feel the need to to call on him and and ask about it like he wasn't firmly proclaiming like yes i absolutely 100 percent support whatever i'm you know being asked of and i think that was insane that 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 was being just sort of let happen that's i think he had a great line of questioning brought on to him and he was definitely he had the most to lose anyway so all of that questioning definitely was important but i feel like he definitely still got away with a lot that he shouldn't have the most important question that i think biden didn't answer that really good journalists and really good moderators will eventually need to get out of him is one of Obama's policies when he was president was the deportation of undocumented immigrants just because they were undocumented. They weren't previous criminals. They don't have any kind of record. It was just being in the country illegally and just being undocumented was enough to deport them. And and the Obama administration did deport, I think they said about 3 million people because of that. And when pressed on that, he never answered whether he had changed his mind on that policy, whether he had agreed with that policy, whether he regrets that policy. He basically just punted every single time and he just sort of ignored it. And he's he's trying again with the plausible deniability. He's trying to evoke the good feelings of the Obama administration that, oh, remember when Obama was president? Yeah, I was his vice president. But then also ignoring the policies that perhaps Obama had that weren't great or maybe have shifted in the party that he's just not acknowledging that. And I think that's, he's going to need to answer for that very soon because immigration is definitely one of the most important issues of this election. And if he doesn't answer that question, he might have some problems. And now the winners and losers of the Thursday night debate, the second debate. 
I think the obvious answer to that would be Kamala Harris. She absolutely had a knockout standout moment on Thursday. She, her, her fights with Joe Biden, her, she's very direct and she's very pointed with her questions. And, and she, I think, had very good responses to a lot of them, but also her line of attacks on her opponents were very well done and very calculated. Bernie Sanders, I think, did pretty well and not because of his answers, but because he survived pretty much unscathed. He, he, only his answer regarding raising taxes on the middle class, I think that was really his only issue that may come back to bite him. But other than that, I think he was able to sort of skate under the radar and not have too many issues. And sort of a, I wouldn't call her a winner, but I would call her one to watch just to hear her out would be Marianne Williamson. I do not think Marianne Williamson will ever be president. I absolutely do not think that she will go much above 1% ever. However, when Marianne Williamson was given the opportunity to speak, she absolutely took advantage of it, and her responses were top-notch. I think she had very good presence when she was able to speak, and I would like to hear more from her. Again, not that she's going to be president, but I'd be interested to see what she says. And as for the losers... Again, the obvious answer would be Joe Biden, only because unless he went through this debate unscathed, I would say he was going to be a loser no matter what, because the biggest problem with Biden is he takes the moderate approach and he doesn't have too many concrete policies because he just wants to evoke nostalgia. He wants to evoke in the party the sort of idyllic version of remember Obama, remember when Obama was president, let's just do that again. And I think it's going to be really tough for him to stand out as a great candidate with this as his main issue. Uh, Another person that I think didn't do so great last night was Kirsten Gillibrand. And one of her main problems was she was really having a hard time getting a word in. And I think that may have something to do with just the idea that men have a little bit easier time interrupting and it's just as a cultural thing women have a hard time sort of sticking their neck out and you know getting involved and I could definitely tell she was trying to I could hear her a couple of times and Marianne Williamson as well I could hear her sort of speaking over people a couple of times but the men tend to have a little bit easier time interrupting and talking over each other to get a word in whereas Kirsten Gillibrand wasn't really acknowledged as much. Regardless of when she was asked questions and what she said, she had some great answers, but I think she, just her inability to really get a word in too often was definitely a deterrent for her. And then another sort of runner-up in the loser category, I would say Andrew Yang. I think Andrew Yang is absolutely not qualified to be up there. I think his he's very much a one-note kind of candidate with his thousand dollar a month policy and value added tax. I don't think he has any other ideas beyond that. And I see him fizzling out very quickly. I don't see any path for him, just like Williamson, any path for him beyond 1%. And him being up there, I think was just a waste of stage, if I'm being completely honest. Do these debates actually matter? The short answer is absolutely not. These do not matter. In the long run, they are not going to determine who the next president is or who the next nominee for the Democratic Party is. But 
I think they give a lot of insight into who these people are. I am very excited to see the next one, which should be in about a month from now, just to hear more concrete policy. I think this first one sort of as an introduction, people got more of an opportunity to slide under the radar for a few things and and maybe not have such concrete policy, but they're not going to be able to get away with that for much longer. So I, I would love to hear more from Tulsi Gabbard. I would love to hear more from... Kamala Harris. I would not like to hear any more from Beto O'Rourke or from Andrew Yang. Um, I'd like to see more hard hits against the frontrunner Joe Biden. I'd like to see him actually answer a question when he is asked and have more concrete, definitive answers that satisfy not just the centrist moderates who are going to vote for him no matter what. I would love to see something concrete that does not just evoke the Obama presidency. And that's all for this special edition of Millennially Speaking. I'm David Latimer. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share us with your friends. We're also on Instagram at millennially underscore speaking and on YouTube, Millennially Speaking. We'll be back next week.